Pray with me, would you? Father, what a good thing for us to gather together here today to set our hearts and our minds on you, our God, to lift you up and praise your name, to worship you. You love us. You've called us. We are yours. We pray that you would speak to us today. We would rather be rebuked by you, corrected by you, than not hear from you at all. And so we today come with a sense of anticipation and expectation that you are going to meet us here. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to start by reading a scripture that the Lord laid on my heart today for us. And this is Psalms 103, verse 8. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger? I don't know about you. I had a dad that wasn't slow to anger. And if I did anything wrong, it was like, woo, you caught the wrath. But our God is slow to anger and he's abounding in love towards you. And if you're here this morning and you feel like God just doesn't love you, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. Not even you, not even you at your worst. God has this great, strong love for you. And I wanted to start by encouraging you along those lines today. You can open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13 in our study today. I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Albuquerque. I went to Emerson Elementary, Van Buren Junior High, and Highland High School. And uh, struggled a little bit in Highland, was supposed to graduate in 78, ended up uh, in 79. Uh, But uh, I also... Uh, started at the church very, very early. I was a youth, I was, a, I was working with Sunday school teaching junior high at Chelwood Park Foursquare Church, if you guys know where that's at. And I was encouraged to come over because Calvary had started here. And uh, when we came over, you guys were at 1660 Eubank and Skip invited me, very, very uh, important to the ministry that I'm in. Skip was the first one to ever invite me to be a pastor, and that was to to be the youth pastor here when we were at 1660. If you guys were there during that time, you remember the Sunday school and the high school were across the street. And we weren't by any major road, so we just took our chances. We looked both ways and, and ran across the street. And it's always exciting to see what God's doing here. But we are a sister church to you guys. Not only are we a sister church to you guys, but we have been planted by you. We are a church plant from you. Skip came and said, hey, if you're, you know, think about going to Tucson. We got a group of people there. There's no church like Calvary there. If you're interested in it, maybe go and check it out. And um, God ended up doing that and planting that church from Skip's encouragement uh, in my life. And I owe him so much from back in those early days. We were both so young. It's amazing. When I went out, I was 25 years old. Skip was almost 30 years old. I think still both in our 20s. And um, when I meet people, if someone is 25 years old, I think God called me at 25. Amazing, amazing thing. So uh, really enjoy being here with you guys today. Uh, we are going to be looking at Galatians. I'll explain to you why we're where we're at in just a couple of moments. Let's one more time go to God in prayer and ask him to bless this Bible study. Father, thank you for your word. It is rich, it is deep, it is powerful, it is meaningful, it is profound. It works in the hearts of those who believe. It doesn't return back void. It is alive and active and gets deep down into our lives. And we thank you that as we study it, 
you are working in us and you are applying it. And Lord, we pray that you would use it to challenge us and encourage us today. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is Staying Close to Jesus in a Crazy World. And I don't think there's anybody here today who would say that we are not living in a crazy world. The first century was a crazy world as well. And they were being pulled in all kinds of different directions. And you and I are being pulled in all kinds of different directions today. It may be a personal struggle that you have. It may be a behavioral issue that you're dealing with that is pulling you away from Christ. It may be, like the Galatians, a false teaching that you are beginning to give an ear to that is pulling you away from Christ to something else. It might be a news cycle. Speaking of a news cycle, uh, Roe versus Wade, looks like it's going to be turned over here. We'll find out within a week or so whether or not that's really the case. And yeah. I, um, I began my speaking career when I was 18 years old speaking for Right to Life here in Albuquerque. I would go into the schools and I would speak for... I would go into the schools and, and it was called a debate. We were supposed to debate Planned Parenthood, but it really wasn't a debate. I would go and give my presentation. I almost always went first and I'd give the presentation and then the, the Planned Parenthood would come along and get to pick apart my presentation. That's kind of what happened and, and how it worked. But we've been in this battle for a long time and now it goes to the next step, right? It's going now to the states, which if, again, if this goes through, then it's gonna go to the states and we need to stay vigilant in our prayers along with this. But new cycles can pull us in different directions and we can find ourselves really being drawn away from Christ because of the crazy world that we live in. Now, the Galatians had gotten themselves into some trouble. The book of Galatians, do you know this, was one of the first books to be written in the New Testament. It wasn't Matthew or Mark. It was Galatians or 1 Thessalonians, written sometime in the late 40s which is amazing when you realize what God did in Paul's life. Paul persecuted the church, went to Damascus, went to Arabia for three years, came back, spent 15 days with Peter, and then went back to Tarsus where he was from and there ministered for eight years. So after that, Barnabas went and got him. He was pastoring a new church in Antioch of, of Gentiles who had gotten saved. And he went and he got Paul and brought him back and they co-pastored together in Antioch where they were first called Christians. And then the Holy Spirit sent them out, said, lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them out. And they went on their first missionary journey and they ended up in the region of Galatia. Galatia is not a city. It's a region. A region. Iconia, Lystra, Derby are all in the region of the Galatians. And so he brought the gospel to them. And they were saved by the gospel. This is very early, within 15 years from the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is being preached by Paul and Barnabas in the region of the Galatians. He's telling them to come to Christ by faith, to believe in them. And they got saved. They got filled with the Spirit. God began to do some incredible work there among them. Paul planted some elders. But how old could these elders be, right? They weren't that old. I mean, the church is brand new. The church itself is around 15 years old. And now it's in the Gentile world in what is modern-day Turkey, this region of Galatia. And so Paul and Barnabas leave, go back to Antioch. They'll go back out on their second missionary journey, back through that region later. But when they leave, the agitators come in. The legalists come in. And they tell them, Christ is good. 
faith is good, but you think you can be saved by faith alone, by grace alone, you have to do some works. And these guys were Jewish, and they were teaching them that they had to, the men had to be circumcised. They were teaching them they had to keep the festivals, the dietary laws, that they basically had to become Jewish. And here's the amazing thing. The Galatians received it. They received the false gospel, the false doctrine. They began to believe it, and it blew Paul away. And in fact, just for fun sometime, read the first couple of chapters in the book of Galatians and just get Paul's tone. He's angry to the letter of the Philippians or the Colossians or, or to 1 Thessalonians. He writes them and tells them, I hear of your faith and your work in Christ and the love that you have for him. And I pray for you. I'm so excited. He does all that stuff, all this encouraging stuff. To the Galatians, he doesn't do it. He starts off with grace and peace to you guys. I marvel that so quickly you have left the gospel to another gospel that is not even a gospel. And that's a play on words. He says, I marvel that you have so quickly left the good news for another good news, which is not even good news. It's not good news that you have been saved by grace, but you have to keep yourself by works. It's not good news that you are saved by grace, but you have to add to the work of Christ by keeping some part of the law. The amazing thing is, is that today the legalists are still among us. This false teaching that infiltrated the church in the very beginning is still here today. And I'll share with you in a, in a, in a few moments why I think that that false teaching is here with us still to this day. But Paul writes them, and the, the first couple of chapters, he defends his apostleship and he defends the gospel. In the next couple of chapters, he gets into the theological section of the book where he makes point after point after point of how you are not saved by works. In fact, on my first draft of my notes, I had written out here seven things Paul says in that theological statement, but I realized at a certain point the sermon's way too long. You guys would be here till like two in the afternoon. And so I had mercy on you and I deleted that from my notes. But he says things like this. If you are saved by works, then Jesus died in vain. Those are the kind of points that he makes. He says, you are not saved by the law, but you are saved by a promise. It was a promise that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Not if you go and do works for the Lord, you'll be saved. This was so, had so infiltrated the early church that the book of Ephesus, Ephesians deals with it, Romans deals with it, Hebrews deals with it, Galatians deal with it, and portions of other books deal with it. And the great verse that we got from this struggle is that we are saved by grace through faith, not of any works, lest anyone should boast. And that's the hook that's in the false teaching of legalism. If you're saved because you got baptized in the name of Jesus, or if you're saved because you're keeping the festivals, or if you're saved because you go to church on Saturday, I told the people last night, you're okay. You're here, it's Saturday, sun's still up, it's all still good, all right? But you guys, you're in trouble. If you're saved because you can do some work, then Christ died in vain, and that false teaching permeates the church even to this day. It had pulled them away from Christ. They had found Christ and it had pulled them away from Him. Now, you might not be pulled away from Christ by false doctrine. You may be, because the Bible says, in the last days, men are going to heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. The church today is full of ear ticklers. They'll tell you what you want to hear. I'll never forget the first time that I heard the prosperity gospel. 
I was 19 years old. I was going to a Pentecostal church here in town and they told me that God wanted me to be rich and I thought, what a coincidence. I want to be rich and God wants me to be rich. <laughs> this is great. It's just ear tickling. And so you may be pulled away from Christ into false doctrine. And all of a sudden now, you're singing the, the praises of some false doctrine rather than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're pulled away by a difficulty in your life. The Bible says, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise we don't like to claim. That's a promise we don't put on plaques on our walls. I say that at, at our church, and I used to say that at our church. We don't, I don't have a plaque that says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But somebody at our church decided to make me a plaque and give it to me as a gift. <laughs> so I hung it up in my garage away from my table saw. In this world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> Maybe there's a difficulty. Maybe you're thinking, God, you didn't save me from this hardship, so I'm not going to serve you anymore. Maybe it's some news cycle that has taken you away from Christ. Maybe it's some of just the craziness in the world today and the polarization happening in politics. I think we should vote, but I don't think that politics should be the main thing that we as Christians are about. You may be called personally as a vocation to be involved in politics some way. That's okay, but you, that's not who you are. You are, first of all, in Christ and called to Him. Remember, the gospel is what we are about. We're told that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities, powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly place, and, and then put on the armor. And the armor, you, you know it, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. Do you remember the last part? Your feet prepared with the gospel. That's spiritual warfare and Satan would love to do everything he can do to get you distracted away from the fact that you are called by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, gushing out of you like torrents of living water to affect the people around you so that they can see Christ. You water seeds, you plant seeds so that God can add the increase to the kingdom of God. That's what we are about. They had been moved away from Christ. And Paul says this, in chapter 3, of ver in verses 1 and 2, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you have turned away from the truth? Now, when you take a preaching class, the first thing that they'll tell you is don't insult your audience. But Paul does it. See, sometimes the Holy Spirit could lead you in a different direction. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians. Now, to be foolish, the Bible tells us a lot about it, but in Proverbs, there's a couple of passages that help us Number one, it says in Proverbs 18:2, a fool has no delight in understanding. A fool doesn't really want to understand the truth. They just want to follow their heart. I just don't think that sounds right to me. I just don't think that sounds really good. I just don't think that, that God would be that way. A fool delights in his own understanding, but in expressing his own heart. He's just interested in telling people what's in his heart. He's following his heart. Another one very much like that is Proverbs 28, 6. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. So if you are trusting in your own heart and not in the word of God, sometimes I'll hear people say, well, I just don't believe that can be true. I just don't think that that could be the truth. But what does the word of God say? Your heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. The Bible tells us that we are, you know this verse, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. 
Your heart will lead you astray. That's why we need the Word of God in our lives. And so he says, you're foolish because they thought, well, this sounds good. Yeah, I mean, there's the law and look at these guys. They look like Pharisees. They look like they're really religious. Paul tells them in Galatians, I was them. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He excelled among his contemporaries, he said. He was like these guys that were bringing them this. And Paul says, I considered all of this stuff to be like dung for Christ. And now you're receiving it. See how blown away he is? I left all that, that stuff and considered it to be dung and I came to Christ and you guys now are returning to it. So the next thing he says, and this is interesting, who has bewitched you? And I thought, what an interesting word. And I fixated for far too long on that word bewitched. I know what it means to me. It's a sitcom from early in my life, Samantha and Darren Stevens and Mrs. Kravitz to the nosy neighbor who lived across the street. I've had a couple of those in my lifetime, by the way, Mrs. Kravitz looking in the windows trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, it's not Harry Potter stuff. It's not witches in their day bewitching people. That's not it. The word literally means to cast an evil eye. I looked at 28 different translations because these are scholars making translations. So I looked at 28 different translations to see if I could figure out what they saw in this passage. Most of them said bewitched. Some of them said, who cast a spell on you? That reminds me of a song, but I won't sing it. But what the word really means is, who has looked upon you with an evil eye? Now that might have been some kind of hyperbole in their day looking at you with an evil eye, casting a spell on you, being bewitched. But I connected to the word evil, and I'm reminded that false doctrines come from the devil. Their ministers parade themselves as ministers of the light. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. False teachings are the doctrines of demons and there is a spirit behind them, but it is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has inspired the gospel, but demonic spirits inspire false teachings. This is why you should never be open to them at all. Uh, in fact, you guys have heard of the, the principle of the first occurrence. I'm quite sure Skip uses it all of the time. I know he does. I've heard him talk about it in messages. Uh, whenever you're studying something, you want to go back to the first place it shows up in the Bible. And you learn a lot from that. Either the first time the word is used or the first time it shows up. Do you know where the first false teaching is in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. The serpent, identified in Revelation 20 as Satan... It says Satan, the great dragon, the serpent of old. So this is Satan who, who tempted Eve, the, the, the opposer, the accuser of the brethren who tempted her. And he says to her, can you eat of any of these trees in the garden? And she says, well, yeah, we can eat of all of the trees, but not the tree in the middle of the garden. The first thing Satan does is to question God's goodness. Can you eat of any of these trees? Like God would restrict her. And then she leaves out God's word. Because God says to Adam, you can freely eat of all of these trees in the garden. She says to Satan, we can eat of all these trees. She left freely out. She made God's word less gracious. And then she said, but the tree in the middle of the garden, if we eat of it, we might die. Now she changed God's word. 
God had told Adam, if you eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, you will surely die. She said, we might die. Satan then says, and this is the first false gospel. Satan then says, you will not surely die. See, he knew God's word. He knew that God had said, you will surely die. She said, you might die. And he said, you will not surely die. Go ahead and eat of it. You will not surely die. So the source, the beginning of false teaching is Satan himself. And deceiving spirits are behind these things. And they had been deceived from it. They'd received Christ. They'd loved him. They were by faith. The spirit was moving. And then all of a sudden they started believing this false doctrine and they were drawn away from him. And whatever it might be that is drawing you away from Christ, if there's anything, I hope that today as we look at the application section, We've got him defending his faith, defending the gospel. Then we've got the theological section. But by the time we get to chapters five and six, it's the application section. He's talking to them about what they can do to make sure they stay, get close to Christ and stay close to Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Getting close to Christ and staying close to Christ. And I want to do that through three short passages in the application section of the book of Galatians. The first one is in Galatians 5, 13 and 14. It's, uh, uh, first of all, they neglected love for works. See, when you start being a legalist, it's really easy to think that that's everything. Well, I don't know about you, but I read my Bible four times a day. I get up at three in the morning and I pray for five hours. Well, goody for you. Really glad you do that. But love is the thing that suffers. Remember the church at Ephesus and the letter that God wrote, that Jesus wrote them in the book of Revelation? I have this for you. You test those who are false prophets. You found them to be liars, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. They were so committed to the truth that they had left the love, and love can leak away from us. And so Galatians 5, 13 and 14, 13 starts off by saying, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. We have liberty in Christ. He's telling them, you're not under the law. You've been given liberty. Jesus said that uh, the Son of Man makes you free and you are free indeed in John 8, 36. Paul said, we of all people are the most free. Isn't that an amazing statement? And I like to tell people, don't give up your freedom. Don't let anybody put you under some bondage or some work-based religion. Don't give in to that. We are the most free. But why did God give us all that freedom? Did he give us the freedom so that we would do the things of the flesh that could lead us into sin? You could use your freedom to seek your own way. You could use your freedom to seek the things you want to seek. You could use your own freedom to edify yourself. You could use your own freedom to glorify God. You could use your own freedom to lift him up. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. You've heard the statement, give them enough rope to do the job or hang themselves. God's given us enough rope that we can do the job he's called us to do with freedom. But freedom can be dangerous if it's used the wrong way. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, but do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. And then he goes on to say, but, uh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why, when they had moved away from Christ for a false doctrine, does Paul want to recenter them in love? Because that's the key for us. The key is that we're in love with God and we love one another. 
we fulfill the entire law. You don't have to keep the law. There are 613 laws anyway. You want to keep all of those? And which ones are you going to choose and pick? Paul said, if you break the law in one point, you are under a curse. The law brings blessings. And if you can keep it, you are tremendously blessed. If you break it, you're under a curse. In John 13, 35, John tells us that by this we know that, we, that you are my disciples, Jesus speaking, by this you know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When I, um, when I travel or I attend a church, when I had um, left, the, I grew up in Christ United Methodist Church on Gibson. And I got saved in that church at 14 years old. And God led me out of there and I began to attend churches, but I already knew the gospel and I would go in listening. I wanted to know, did they teach the Bible? Did they teach the truth of the word of God? I was listening for certain things. But somebody in the world that comes into this church doesn't know any of that. How do they know who we are? How do they know what we're about? So Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. If we're biting and devouring one another, then they aren't going to know we're his disciples. It's part of our evangelism. Isn't that crazy? Part of our evangelism to the world is the love that we have for one another. And genuine love, by the way. Not what I call cult love. There's cult love where people put on this fake smile. Hello, brother. Hello, sister. And you just want to go, let me go ahead and leave right now. I'm just going to get on out of here. We're talking about genuine love. And the world will know whether or not we're genuine. But they will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 8. Uh, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Imagine that statement. Above all things, have a fervent love for one another. If by any means you're having some struggle or difficulty with someone here in the church, if by any means your love is being affected, above all things, have a fervent love for one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. They had left their love, and Paul encourages them. It's through love, not the law. The second thing was that they had neglected walking in the Spirit. And this is an amazing verse as well. These application sections are absolutely amazing because it helps us if we're struggling with anything. If we're struggling with behavioral issues, if we're struggling with sin that comes from sowing to the flesh, we get that all here. And so they had neglected walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I love the way that's worded. What are you supposed to focus on? Walk in the Spirit. He didn't say... Don't walk in the flesh and you'll walk in the spirit. Because too often when we're struggling with a behavioral issue, when we're struggling with some kind of, of, of issue of our flesh, of sin, we're like, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to knuckle down. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop hating that person. Oh, that person, I hate him. I'm going to stop hating that person. We fixate on what we're not supposed to do and think we can somehow walk in the Spirit. But God said, fixate on the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, some of you guys here have been walking in the Spirit a long time and you do a great job. 
Others feel like I could never walk in the spirit like this person. You know someone like that. But listen, you don't have to walk in the spirit like them today or tomorrow. All you have to do is say, the rest of today, I'm going to walk in the spirit better than I did yesterday. And the next day, I'm going to walk in the spirit better than I did that day. See, you and I are, are playing the long game when it comes to Christ. This is not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. Heard that a hundred times, right? But it's the long game. The Bible says, I'm sorry to bring up this verse. You probably were reminded of it when you looked in the mirror today. The Bible says the outer man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. God doesn't cause you to be renewed all at once. You're like, Lord, come into my life. Boom. Super Christian right here. Nope, the inner man's being renewed day by day. And so you walk in the spirit more tomorrow than today and more the next day than that day. You find yourself saying, I want to be that man, that woman that walks in the spirit. There's another verse that's like it. And when, when I'm dealing with someone who's struggling with behavioral issues, they've got some sin in their lives. And they usually will say things like, this is so hard. Why is temptation so strong? I just can't seem to get away from it. I just keep returning to it. I don't want to do that. I want to serve Christ, but I end up doing that. And we all know that struggle. We could pretend like we don't, but we all know that struggle. And this is the, I, I use that verse, walk in the spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The second verse I use is Psalms 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you're delighting in God today, the desires you have are going to be godly. If you are delighting in the world, your desires are going to be worldly. If you're delighting in the flesh, your desires are going to be fleshly. And God won't answer your fleshly desires or your worldly desires. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires become godly and God goes, I can answer those. You say, my prayers are never answered. Are you delighting in God? If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Delight in the Lord who'll give you the desires of your heart. The New Testament passage that is equivalent to that is Jesus himself in John 15, 15, 7, where he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Again, you abide in Christ. Abide? to live. You're walking with him. You're walking in the spirit. You're delighting in the Lord. You're abiding with Christ and his word abides in you. You're not leaning on your own understanding, but you're abiding in the word of God and its word it has a home inside of you. The Bible says God's word works in the hearts of those who believe. And now all of a sudden Jesus says, and I'll answer your desires. Your desires will change and you're not fixating on your behavior that's wrong. You're fixating on Christ. And doesn't that just make sense? Does that just, it just makes sense that if we fixate on Christ, what bad things can happen? If you fixate on your struggles, well, you're just gonna struggle more, but fixate on him. And so he says to them, walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he gives the struggle. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish. And I think we could all give an amen to that. When I was um, a teenager in high school, I discovered Hosanna Tape Library. I told you I went to Highland High. I think I told you I went to Highland High School. Uh, right across the street there on Central, there was Hosanna Tape Library. And they let you, you borrow three cassette tapes. You had to put a dollar down. You had to give them a dollar. 
So they, you'd return the tapes. And you could borrow three tapes. And I listened to two different people because they taught through the Bible. This is my first exposure to Pastor Chuck Smith. And he taught through the Bible, so I got his. The second one was J. Vernon McGee for the same reason. May I say to you, my friends. And I listened through the Bible, eventually settled on Chuck, but I listened through the Bible with Pastor Chuck. When I was covering, I would ditch high school, sit in my car, and listen to Pastor Chuck tapes. Little did I know that that was going to be a better education for me than they were giving me in Highland High School. Which, by the way, they weren't giving me too good of a one. That was partially me, all right? I struggled in school. But I remember listening to the tape in Galatians. Again, I'm a teenager. And I hear Chuck say, I struggle in my flesh. My flesh struggles against my spirit. And I don't do the things I wish. And every one of us has that issue. And I remember being blown away, thinking... I didn't think that Chuck would, you know, Pastor Chuck would struggle with that. But the honesty of him saying, I have a battle inside of me, the spirit battling against the flesh and the flesh with the spirit allowed me to know there's a battle inside of me and I need to win this thing. And this will never go away. If you say, well, I don't have a battle. I just have the spirit controls everything because I'm so close to Christ. John 1, 1 John chapter 1 says, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar. So that's your problem. You may not have any other problem except that you're a liar. We all have those struggles, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But again, we're to walk in the spirit. We won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we have to come back to walking in the spirit. It goes on to say then, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, Paul's continuing on with this whole thing he's dealing with Galatians, these legalists, these agitators that have come in and put this burden on these people. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you are not under the law. Earlier in the book, he says, I ask you this question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by the Spirit or by the law? He's just continuing on these ideas. He continually pounds this whole thing home. You don't have to live under works. You don't have to live under the law. So, they had neglected walking in the Spirit. And so now he's encouraging them, make sure you're walking in the Spirit. The third thing they had neglected is in chapter 6, verses 7 through 19. They had neglected sowing to the Spirit. Not only were they not walking in the Spirit, they were not sowing to the Spirit. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. The kind of things that you are doing today will reap a crop in the future. That's what the word sow means. It's a farming term. You're learning about farming now from a guy by the name of Furrow. You sow and you receive. And the things you are sowing today are the things that you're going to reap tomorrow. And God says, don't be deceived. You think you can sow to the flesh today and reap, and, and, and reap from the Spirit tomorrow? God's not mocked. He won't be mocked. If you're pretending, if you're playing a game, if you're not serious about really serving God, God knows it. He can see it. He's not going to be mocked. The Bible says, if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. The Bible says, can a man take a fire into his lap and not be burned? Next time you're sitting around a campfire, just grab a handful of coals, bring them up into your lap. <laughs> Say, I'm not going to get burned by that. And so we end up sowing to the flesh and we think that we're going to reap life. We think that our life is going to reflect life, 
But it goes on to say, for he who sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit from the spirit will reap life. Now I want to say, first of all, this is not karma. I remember talk, talking to someone about this and they go, wow, that's so amazing. It's like the Bible's talking about karma. And I'm like, do you know what karma is? Karma is not like I'm going to do good things today and I'm going to get good things back. Karma is if I am good in this life, I won't come back as a cockroach in the next life. That's karma. Sowing and reaping, doing things for Christ, sowing to the Spirit and reaping things from Christ and from the Spirit is a biblical principle. Karma is about reincarnation and what you come back in the next life. This is not karma. This is a biblical principle that all of us should know. So that today, not only do I walk in the Spirit, not only do I delight myself in God, not only do I abide in Christ, but I use the liberty that I have to be able to sow to the Spirit today. It's not legalism. I'm not telling you, you guys need to get out there, knuckle down, buckle down, get down there and do it. I'm just talking about sowing to the Spirit today. That we would say, I want, I want a crop of life. I want the crop of everlasting life. And so I'm going to sow to the Spirit today. And I just need to focus and walk in the Spirit. What an incredible promise from him. In verse 8, he, uh, whoever sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption, but whoever sows to the Spirit from the Spirit everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Why does he say that to them? Because we're in the long game. This isn't about doing it all today. It's about the inner man being renewed day by day. Don't grow weary in doing well. There's a passage, and is it okay for me to say that I don't like a passage in the Bible? I always feel like it's close to blasphemy when I say that. But it's true. There are certain passages that I don't like. Doesn't mean they're not truth. It doesn't mean I don't believe them. I just wish they said something different. Here's this one. This one is Hebrews 6.12. That you do not become sluggish. It's the same kind of principle. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season you'll reap if you don't grow faith. So do not grow, uh, become sluggish. Hebrews 6.12. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. I don't like that. I like the faith part. By faith, inheriting the promises of God, trusting God, believing God, believing what his word says. When you learn a principle there, you say, I'm going to do it. When you learn the Bible tells you something, you say, yes, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to receive the promise. I like that part. It's the through faith and patience part I don't like. I just want it to happen now. I wish it said through faith and immediately you receive the promises of God. But it's like God makes us wait. Are you in a holding pattern right now? Can you say, I've been doing this for a long time and I've yet to see the good things come about from my life? I talk to people like that. I can't follow God anymore because he let that happen and I'm not going to follow him because he let that happen. Are you through faith and patience trusting God? How long did it take Abraham to get a child? Remember God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm your exceedingly great reward. He had given everything back to the king of Sodom. He had given a tenth of his tithe to Melchizedek. And God comes to him and says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Remember what Abraham said to him? What are you going to give me seeing the heir of my household is this Eleazar, my servant? What a thing to say. I'm like, it's a good thing Abraham and God were friends because, ooh, that's a little bit touchy. And God says to him, Eleazar will not be your, your servant, but I will give you a son. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. 
They went through the flesh with Ishmael. And then finally, God gave them a son at 100 years old. Hey, you might have to be 100 years old before you see the promises of God. You say, I wish I didn't go to church today. I don't want to hear that. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary of walking in the Spirit. Don't grow weary of sowing in the Spirit. Don't grow weary of using your liberty, the great freedom you have in Christ, for doing things that are for Him, lifting Him up so that people will be drawn to Him, being involved in the battle. That We were never promised we wouldn't face difficulties or dark times or tragedies. Life is tragedy. It will end in tragedy for every one of us. That's life. Again, I wish it wasn't the case. And I shouldn't say that because Paul said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We are not all going to sleep. And by sleep, he meant die. But some of us will be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. I vote for that. Any of you guys here vote for that as well? I vote for that. Let's let that happen. But if God waits, then all of us will meet a tragic end. But we will still be rewarded when we stand in the presence of our living God. And like the song says, I can only imagine what it will be like. Now, let me just give you one more encouragement in closing. And that is that we would be careful. You know, the Bible says, do nothing from selfish ambition. That's a pretty strong encouragement. When we're living for Christ and we're walking in the Spirit, this is not so that we can achieve something. It's not so that we can get more people. It's not so that we can uh, be our, own, our best PR person. We do live in a day where social media is incredibly powerful and most people, not talking about you, all right, so don't get, up, don't get defensive. Most people use social media to promote themselves. And I just want to give you an encouragement to use social media to promote Christ. There was the Greek god Narcissus, and we get narcissism from it. The last thing that we want to be is a narcissist where everything's about us. I don't know if you have any friends that are like that, but you tell them something about yourself and they immediately bounce off of it to something about themselves. It's always about them. So you tell them, I'm really struggling. They go, God, yeah, tell me about it. It's, it's like, okay, let's talk about you. You know, I wanted to talk about me. <laughs> so Narciss was a good looking young man who couldn't find a woman to love. And then he wandered into a cave. There's several accounts of this story. But he wandered into a cave and there was a pond of water that was still. And he looked into that water and he realized how beautiful he was. <laughs> and he stared at the water and he looked at himself and he fell in love with himself. And he looked at himself and he looked at himself and he looked at himself until he died. <laughs> that's the story of narcissus. And that's what narcissism is. We look at ourselves. We put a post up on social media and we look at it. How come no one's liking it? How come I there are no comments? I can only, how come? What did they say? What did, I need to look at it again. You just looked. I know I got to look at it again. And we look at it and we look at it and we look at it and we look, until we die. <laughs> My encouragement is that you would put that self-promotion side of you away and use your social media accounts, use everything you have to lift Christ up. Because the Bible doesn't say if you're lifted up, all people will be drawn to Christ. Amen. The Bible says, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And I know the context there is Christ on the cross, okay? If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. But if we lift him up and preach Christ crucified and resurrected, then people will be drawn to him. And may God use us for that 
so that nothing in our lives is done from selfish ambition, but instead done for Christ, that we can stand before him. You know, in, in Revelation, the 24 elders, they throw their crowns before the throne. And we go, I hope when I get to heaven, I can throw my crown before the throne. Can I just, in, in my, my last couple of minutes, can I encourage you to cast your crowns before the throne now to him, to live for him to be glorified, Jesus said, when you do your good works, do them in such a way that men see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May Christ be glorified through you. May you find yourself closer to Jesus than ever before. Don't fixate on your problems. Fixate on Christ and the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and you will find yourself delivered from what those problems are. This is not, don't go, don't go weary because it's not happening now. God hasn't answered your prayers now. You're in a holding pattern now, but instead, no, you're being renewed day by day, and that takes a long time to happen, and we will receive our reward if we don't grow weary. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to be able to look into your word and study it, to see what it means to walk close with you. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would help us to make this application into our lives. And Lord, I also pray for those that are here who don't know you, those who are here who have never made a commitment. I pray you give them the boldness to take the next step. I also pray for those that are here that at some point in the past raised their hand or invited Christ into their lives, but they never followed through. I pray, Lord, again, that their spirit would be quickened and brought to life, that they would be born again here today and begin this walk with you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.